Welcome to Term Talk, an FJC video podcast. This podcast is one of several short videos acquainting federal judges with the term Supreme Court holdings. With me for the first time is Michael W. McConnell, Richard and Francis Mallory Professor, Stanford Law School, and the director of the Stanford Constitutional Law Center. He also served on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals from 2002 through 2009. Welcome, Michael, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Also with me is Erwin Chemerinsky, Jesse H. Choper, Distinguished Professor of Law and Dean of Berkeley Law. Thank you, Erwin, for being a very longtime supporter of the Federal Judicial Center. Thank you. Truly my great pleasure. So, Erwin, um, can you get us started on the facts and explain the issues? There were two cases that came to the Supreme Court together. One was St. James versus BL. And it involved a woman who was a lay teacher at a Catholic school, breast cancer and took time off of work. When she came back, there was no longer a job for her. And she sues under the Americans with Disabilities Act. The Our Lady Guadalupe versus Morrissey Peru involves a teacher who says that she was fired to make way for a younger teacher who would be less expensive. That was a claim under the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. The Ninth Circuit rejected the religious defenses of these schools. The Ninth Circuit said there's a very narrow exception to employment discrimination law for ministers. Neither of these teachers were ministers, and thus the Ninth Circuit said their claims could go forward. But the United States Supreme Court, in a 7-2 decision reversed, Justice Alito writing for the court, and the court here said that because these teachers were involved in some religious instruction, in modeling religious behavior, the whole the schools liable on this basis would violate free exercise of religion. So what kinds of factors were the courts looking at in making these determinations about whether the exception applies? I think what's key here is what role they play in the school. And quite crucial for Justice Alito's majority opinion was the role that these teachers play with regard to some religious instruction, with regard to modeling of religious behavior. And in this context, to hold the institutions liable for the choices that they make is to be their teachers violates free exercise of religion. So Michael, the two dissents were concerned that the ministerial exception has been too broadly um, expanded because these employees in these cases taught largely secular subjects. And now the argument is thousands of teachers will no longer have protections from discrimination. So has this case changed things? What we really had here was the Ninth Circuit giving an an unusually narrow interpretation to the Hosanna-Tabor decision, which remember was unanimous. Uh, The Ninth Circuit said that Hosanna-Tabor was different because of two considerations. One had to do with the title that the uh, individual held, and the other had to do with formal religious training. And the court in in Guadalupe, uh, in St. James, rejected those two grounds of distinction for the reason that, first of all, they're, um, they would be difficult to administer, but I think much more importantly, that different religious denominations use different titles for essentially the same uh, activities, 
uh, and also they differ in their practices with regard to formal religious training, so that if we were to distinguish between religious institutions on those grounds, we'd end up playing favorites among uh, religious denominations. And so they swept all of them in. I do not think that this decision stands for the proposition that all teachers in religious schools are covered by this immunity, but only teachers who are teaching religion classes uh, in the schools. And the court was rather studiously silent on giving guidance about all the many other cases out there uh, that uh, uh, in, in which this distinction is going to be very difficult to, to work out. The oral argument was interesting because actually I, I don't think there was that much disagreement that teachers of religion classes fall within the exemption, but the oral argument was just filled with one difficult hypothetical after another. Uh, and uh, the court uh, stayed away from all of them. So uh, unlike Espinoza, that I think sets a pretty c clear rule that lower courts are going to be able to administer without a lot of confusion, I think that Guadalupe is just the, the beginning of what is likely to be quite a lot of uh, difficult litigation uh, outside of schools even about all kinds of religious uh, of employees of religious institutions to ask whether what they whether their uh, function is sufficiently tied up with the religious mission of the institution that they would be covered by the immunity. I strongly agree in terms of the litigation that we're likely to see. I agree that this was just about teachers in religious schools who are teaching religion, but it's going to lead to so much litigation. But that's also why I disagree with what Michael started. He began by saying this case doesn't do very much beyond Hosanna Tabor. And I think it does. In Hosanna Tabor, the school required that the teachers go through additional training and instruction and then essentially become ordained as ministers. In many lower courts like the Ninth Circuit said, Hosanna Tabor just said that a religious institution can't be liable for the choice it makes is to be its ministers. No longer is that the line. But where the line will be drawn is uncertain, and Michael's right, it's going to lead to a great deal of litigation. I would just point out that back in Hosanna Tabor, or, uh, or Tabor, thank you, Erwin, for your pronunciation, the, um, uh, there was a concurring opinion by an odd duo, namely Sam Alito and Elena Kagan, uh, who both uh, took the view uh, that these that the particulars of religious title and training should not even in that case have uh, have uh, have controlled and I think whenever you see Alito and Kagan together uh, lower courts should uh, take notice it was not a surprise then that Alito took pretty much the same position in this case and he was joined by Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer making it a seven to two decision. If I could just add, there's always a tension between the establishment clause and the free exercise clause. And you see some tension back between the two cases we've talked about. In Espinoza, the Supreme Court is saying, treat religion the same as everybody else. But in the context of Our Lady Guadalupe, they're saying, no, treat religion differently. Give them an exception from the anti-discrimination law that no one else gets. Michael? The specific corner of establishment clause law that these cases fall in is what we call accommodation of religion. 
that is where uh, the government, either through constitutional requirement or through its own legislative choice, uh, does not impose on uh, religious organizations or religious individuals requirements that they violate their religious conscience, even though those um, requirements may be in the law for other uh, other parties, every individual freedom that is uh, uh, delineated in the Bill of Rights might be seen as a preference for those who want to exercise uh, that particular freedom, and it just cannot violate the Establishment Clause, the court has said, to just because uh, the free exercise uh, of religion is uh, given uh, that kind of uh, protection. Erwin, let's get back to your earlier point about sort of the balancing of the free exercise of religion and the establishment clauses. So how is it balanced here? How, how does it go in your measure here? To try to pull the, all of our discussion together, I think what we've seen is that we have a majority on the Supreme Court now that's going to be very aggressive in protecting free access religion. Perhaps it'll be under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act like in Burwell versus Hobby Lobby, or it'll be under the free exercise clause, like in the Espinoza and Our Lady of Guadalupe cases we're talking about. At the same time, these justices have a pretty minimal sense of what violates the establishment clause. And I think it's important for judges to realize how different this is from the last 50 years have been with regard to establishment clause and free exercise clause jurisprudence. And I think it's gonna make a real difference in the lower courts and in the case that'll come to the Supreme Court. Well, thank you both very much. I'm looking forward to next summer when we talk about these issues some more. Thank you. Thank you.